We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ's likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Ministry can be hard, can be difficult. Different kinds of people within the congregation, we would attest to that. Different attitudes, different backgrounds, different agendas, different, different dreams. But much of the time, the measure of difficulty is up to us. After all, many less educated, less qualified, less gifted ministers um, have done much more with difficult circumstances than the majority of pastors, myself included. Hebrews 11 showcases what these these servants of God have done, all because they've entrusted themselves to the Lord. And the same is true for all of us, not just ministers, as we entrust ourselves to the Lord. Uh, Some were were crucified upside down. Some were abandoned by their own family. Some burned to the stake. Others were beaten to death. Some were shamed or humiliated and despised. And none of them had any records of baptisms. None of, none of them had any kind of uh, attendance rosters that they could look to or point to. None of them had new building projects or, or fundraisers that they had accomplished. All they had was their faithfulness to the Lord. And so to be quite honest, I feel quite overwhelmed by such a great cloud of witnesses. Sometimes I feel like my contribution even to our church has been quite small. My task has been limited, but, but I hope that even in the most difficult of times, that I've been faithful to do what it is that God has called me to do. And we've, we've had our moments of difficulty as a church in the last 10 years. But all in all, those difficulties have been quite limited. I, I think probably the most tense business meeting that we had in the last 10 years was over an ice maker. That's pretty incredible, really. Right? We're Baptists. An ice maker? That's our biggest problem? Man, Jesus might be coming back tomorrow. We've, we've walked through tough times together as a congregation. We've lost loved ones. We've seen dear friends depart. We've sent ministers on their way, whether it's to the field or to a different service uh, here in the States. But through those difficulties, we've walked together. The second principle that I have tried to fulfill in the ministry is being a man of the word. Paul says in verse 20, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to verse 26 and he says, therefore I testify to you to this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. What he's saying is, I've I've said everything that I can say. I've preached the gospel. I've shared the truth. I've I've put it all on the line. There's nothing left unsaid. From the very beginning, when I met with the pastor search committee, I remember the question, and they said, 
what's your preaching style? And I didn't have the heart to say at the time, bad. <laughs> bad. I just thought maybe I'd just wing it and see what would happen. I was, I was green. I was a novice. And for some reason, it must have been a confusion of paperwork. You ended up calling me. But, but I had the right answers at the time. And over the last 10 years, those answers that I gave, I've only solidified in my own mind that those are the right answers when it comes to preaching. And I admit that preaching expositionally, that is through books of the Bible and through text, has not always been easy. But it does keep a preacher accountable to preach the hard text. It would have been easier to preach things that, um, that you always wanted to hear. Now, that's how you grow a that's how you grow a church, right? Preach the things that were comfortable. Preach the things that were comfortable that, that everyone wanted to hear. It would have been easier to avoid certain kinds of topics and thus prevent having to receive the Monday morning emails or the comments. But as Paul modeled, ministry of the word means that we, we cannot shrink back from preaching and declaring the hard things um, that are difficult to hear. I don't know if you remember this, but in my second sermon series, First sermon series that I preached here was the I Am Statements of John. Okay? Second sermon series was in Matthew. And I preached the sermons of Jesus from Matthew. Because in my naivety, I thought, Jesus isn't going to be that controversial, right? I mean, I think I'm non-confrontational kind of a, you know, preaching. I don't want to do too much. About a third of the way in, I discovered that Jesus talked about divorce and remarriage. And what a stupid thing for a pastor of his first year to talk about in a church. Because that's something that everybody has an opinion about. And yet, this is what I did. But I stayed true to it. And even though it was uncomfortable, not just for some of you out there, but uncomfortable for me as a very young, inexperienced preacher, preaching expositionally kept me true to doing the hard thing. What I hope that you remember is that I did not refrain from saying what was necessary as your preacher. And just because they were hard, I didn't pull back from those things. I hope that you remember that my, my only desire was to ensure that you were fed the incredible riches of God's word on a regular basis. That was my desire, is that you would come and we would meet together and I would preach the word of God and that you would leave satisfied with what God had said in his word. And I've preached the gospel for 10 years. And it's not changed in that 10-year period. And everything else, everything else that I've done, everything else that I've taught is in support of that gospel. That God created the world, that human beings have fallen into sin, we've rejected God, and that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die our own death on the cross so that we might have life if we would trust in him, if we would repent of our sin, believe in him, turn our lives over to him, he would give us everlasting life. That gospel undergirds everything that I've tried to teach these many years. It's been the center of every ministry program that we've had. It's been for focus, hopefully, in committee meetings and deacon gatherings at various teaching moments and definitely sermons. 
Being a man of the word is not just for pastors, though. My earnest desire is that all of us would be people of the word, that we would have a love and affection for what God says in his word, that it might change us, that we wouldn't just read it, that we would just come to Sunday morning church and then we would hear a, a, a sermon by a preacher and maybe he's exciting, maybe he's not exciting, maybe he spits and slobbers as he preaches, maybe he's just very quiet and reserved. It doesn't really make a difference if you come and you hear the word and you leave the same way. The responsibility doesn't fall back on the preacher. The responsibility falls back upon you because your response to what God is saying through his word is what's important. Number three, Paul talks about being humble and selfless. Acts 20, verse 22, says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul here, he's, he's being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit's guidance. The Holy Spirit is directing him to go to Jerusalem, and it doesn't really look like it's going to work out very well for him. He's telling them that he needs to go to Jerusalem. And his only desire, Paul's only desire, was to finish well. He wanted to finish well, and he wanted to testify to the gospel of Jesus. And so he speaks about this kind of humility. How he says, I don't account my own life of any value, nor precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. He's humble. He says, it doesn't really matter for me. It's not about me. But it's about God. And humility and, and selflessness, they're, they're funny things. It's difficult to measure whether one has actually accomplished these things, I've discovered. I know that I have attempted over the years to be humble in the way that I lead, but I know that on numerous occasions I have failed. I've let pride in my own heart get the best of me, and, and sometimes people saw it, sometimes people heard it, and other times I could quietly tuck it inside my own heart and nobody saw it. It was there nonetheless. I've tried to be sacrificing for you as a church, and some of you have seen those things, others have not seen those things. But all of us are called to be like this. Not just the pastors. We're all to be humble. We're all to be selfless in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we minister together. And imagine if we were all like this. Imagine if we lived our lives with humility and selflessness. Imagine the impact upon our community. Imagine the, the impact on the church, the flourishing that would take place within the church. Imagine the souls that would be changed for eternity if we lived humbly and we were self-sacrificing. I've never tried to lead from a place of pride or of heavy-handedness. And there have been times when I've, I've made decisions that didn't make everyone happy, but the truth is, it's nearly impossible to make everyone happy without fried chicken and mashed potatoes. It's impossible. 
Humility is absolutely key to the health of the church. I just remember these words from Paul. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Have the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So be humble, be selfless. Next, leave things better than you found them. The Boy Scout motto. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's speaking to the overseers specifically right now. To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul is specifically, he's, he's speaking to the overseers in Ephesus, and he alerts them that the, the, the fact that whenever transition happens, there will be those who rise and attempt to assert their will over the church. They will try to overturn perceived mistakes of the past and, and put forth a new vision. And this almost always happens when pastors leave. And what I want to encourage you to do as a church this morning is to just trust the men that God has already put in your lives as leaders. God has given you two pastors who are sitting up here in the front. God has put them there, not us. We believe God's sovereign. We believe God is, is uh, working his providence. These are shepherds. These are your shepherds. Lean on them during this time. Lean on them. Trust them. Believe in them. Invest in them. Funny thing is, like six months ago, when I was having this conversation with the Lord about all of these things, I had already been feeling that my time with you as your pastor was beginning to wrap up. You just kind of get that sense. And I didn't really understand it. I didn't understand it because we were growing. Things were fine. Nobody seemed angry, right? Everybody seemed happy. Wasn't getting any strange emails. Really no conflict. There's new families coming in, reaping some of the harvest that we've been working toward for the last 10 years. Uh, we, we, we've even pulled out of decline, and we're growing and advancing. We were experiencing momentum, but I couldn't see anything further than this. My vision had waned, and I feel like that's one of the things that God gives pastors is, is a vision for the future, a direction. And I felt like he was pulling that away from me. 
I had a feeling that God was finished with what he wanted to do with me here. And then this door swung wide open and it was, it was impossible to deny what God was doing in our own life as a family. And over the last few months, I've thought deeply about this principle about leaving things better than you found them. And I guess wondering whether I've actually done that or not. And I don't know. I don't know. I think some ways, yes, maybe. Other ways, maybe not. I know that the church now is healthier than it has been in 10 years. And that's an encouragement to me. We have young families. We have babies everywhere. That's a wonderful sign of of physical health in a church. Our center is the Bible, as it should be. And we love one another. We really do. Every time I've met with people for membership interviews, the number one thing that they all say is that, man, the church was just so friendly and really seemed to be like a family, like they loved one another. And I always say, yep, it's because we do. We do. We look at each other as family. There's a few common denominators when it comes to church health, and I was just thinking about this list of things. thought it would be helpful just to share them with you just quickly. It's a list of things that um, you look at churches that are doing well or healthy. This is some of the things that emerge. The word of God is central when a church is growing. Pastors are loving the people genuinely. The church is committed to an outward-focused strategy And they don't focus so much on the worship style problems. Not that there's any problem. They don't focus so much about that or or budget meetings or I would say business meetings. I think when people come and visit on our business meeting nights and have any kind of background in Baptist polity, they always come to me afterwards and are just like, that was really strange. I was like, what? Well, it was just really informal. And I said most of the time it was because Clay England was our moderator and he just, very informal. But there was no problems. And Clay just led it like it was a family meeting, and it was, because it was a family meeting. Theology is important, affects the methodology of the church. The church is planned several years in the future. The congregation has an awareness of the presence of the Spirit. There's an excitement about children and youth, and there's a genuine respect for the senior adults. Church is focused on expansion into missions, both regionally and internationally. And there's a loving unity in the church. And I don't know about you guys, but as I read through that list, it just sounded like us. And so I feel good about what God has accomplished with us so that I do feel in some sense that I'm leaving it, leaving you better than when I found you. It's not about me. It's about the spirit. Number five. Be a co-laborer. He says in verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul, he's talking about his willingness to work hard, to, to minister together, to do it hand in hand. I, I think that this has been one of the greatest joys for me over the last 10 years. It's because we've partnered together with the gospel. Just like we, 
We talked about it years and years ago when we went through Philippians. One of those, I think it was a two-part sermon series at the time. I know, just one two-part sermon. That's what it was. That was my beginning days. Two-part sermon on partnering with the gospel. Um, I was putting a bunch of sermons in an online format and ran across some of those last week. But that's what we've done. We've partnered together. Co-laborers for the gospel. We've worked together to, to share Jesus with those around us, to minister as a people. And as a result, we've, we've encouraged one another along the way. Paul says this in Philippians. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day. And lastly, last one, Paul shows us that we should open our hearts wide to one another. Look what he says in verse 36. He says, and we said, <clears throat> and when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with him. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, they kissed him. You don't have to do that. being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they wouldn't see his face again. Again, God willing, that is not true of me either. And they accompanied him to the ship. Notice how the story ends here. It shows a little bit about the relationship between Paul and the Ephesians. It gives us kind of a glimpse into the ministry they experienced together. And it shows us what type of tears should accompany a pastor's exit. It ends with communication. It ends with prayer. It ends with hugs, affection, grief, and then an extended goodbye. Not many ministers get to experience this kind of thing. And it makes my heart so very happy that our parting is that of beloved friends and not adversaries. We are partners in the gospel and our time together has made us better people in Christ. And you have been a joy for me to pastor. So, let me take a drink. And I'm sorry, Diane, I was really trying to work up some good yells for you today, but I just didn't have it in me. So just a couple closing remarks. Thank you. Thank you for loving my family. Thank you for caring about my kids. Thank you for following me, even though sometimes I know I was a little misguided. Thank you for supporting our family as we Made the long journey through adoption. Still not quite there. And it took us almost 10 years. But please, if there is any joy that we share together, finish painting that terrible green stripe on the third floor. Just finish it. Do it this year. Make that a resolution. You are all... Every one of you, so very special to my family. We love you guys. And we will always remember you. 
And please, just pray for us as our hearts break. I love you more than words can say. And so I'm going to close my time with Scripture. Because that's what I do. Paul says it most clearly. And I think he says what I would want to say, but don't really, not as articulated as an apostle, I guess. Philippians chapter one, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers with me of grace. Verse eight, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, you know You know, thank you for the privilege of calling me here. Thank you for the many joys that you have given to us as a family in serving our church. God, I pray right now for our church family. I pray, Lord, that you would lead them, that you would lead them to their next leader. I pray, Lord, that you would give them direction and discernment and wisdom. I pray, Father, that you would give them strength and unity. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would do exceedingly and abundantly more than I could possibly imagine. I pray, Lord, that you would bring harvest to the seeds that have been sown. I pray, Lord, that you would empower them to share Christ with those around them. I pray, Father, that you would just continue what you've begun. Thank you for each one of them. Thank you for their families. I pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.